Welcome to Mud 79. I'm Fearless Fred Kennedy, the creator of this totally original and in no way authorized Star Wars fan fiction podcast. If you're listening to this, you probably love Star Wars. I do too, and have always dreamed about telling my own story in a galaxy far, far away. A story that's less about the Jedi Temple and more about those who were on the front lines. A boots-on-the-ground story about how those living in the galaxy survive the horrors of war. That's what Mud79 is all about. If you're new to the show, welcome, but please be aware this is a series. So if you don't want to be totally lost, start from the beginning with episode one. You don't want to be a stormtrooper. This is episode four, The Adventurer. Last week, Solomon Kwai and the 79th were out on patrol in the jungles of Sestin Four, making contact with small towns and mining settlements. And then during a shift on watch, Solomon was startled by a scream in the night. What did the LT learn in the town of Flaudeen? What should we make of the local militia leader Jesper Chorus? And whose scream pierced the night? Let's find out. As I swatted away keg flies and flicked vamp slugs off the edges of the foxhole, a scream broke the air. The scream came from the line behind me. Whoever it was knew that this was it. And it wasn't the fear in the scream that chilled me. It was the way it ended. It was muffled like someone had overtaken them, put their hand over their mouth. I didn't understand what was happening. I couldn't process the situation. I got this fear, this primal fear, right away. Then blaster fire. Some of ours and some that wasn't ours. The whole line behind me opened up and there was shouting up and down the line, confusion. But above it all, that scream kept echoing in my ears. I pulled my rifle close and primed it. I was going to shoot backwards, which you don't do. You never shoot into your own lines. But I was worried that the entire flank would be overrun and I didn't want to give the enemy my back. And then beside me, blasters kicked in, drew my eye over there. I was pulled out of my daze. I mean, this was it. Everyone was up. It wasn't this orgy of firepower like a few weeks ago. Just these precise bursts of fire coming in spurts at specific targets. There were figures coming at us through the mist, charging at us. They fired and blaster bolts impacted beside me, multiple shots. I aimed and without thinking just pulled the trigger. One of them dropped right ahead of me. The body was less than 10 meters away, still twitching. I could see it in the dark. I plugged them three more times just to be sure. Then another shadow moved into a cluster of bushes up ahead. I gave it a close spread of five shots 
tried to cluster them where I figured someone would be. Then saw some other bolts hit it from down the line. Then another figure up ahead. I saw the target, I fired. Popped off a few more shots, then moved on to the next. There was movement everywhere. Shadows at the corner of your eye. The blaster bolts were cooking the mist and it was making it easier to see the enemy rushing forward, hopping from cover to cover, dropping, crawling. Then, Tolan shot off the RPS-6. I couldn't see anything that warranted that kind of firepower. No vehicles or anything, but off it went. Blinded me for a second in the flash. The rocket hit next to a cluster of vegetation, 150 meters away. The blast sent two bodies or some wood or packed dirt into the air. But the light showed a lot of figures headed our way. Too many to count. Maybe a dozen, maybe 20. Just a lot more than I could process. Put down heat to the left of where the rocket hit. They're setting up an E-Web. An E-Web was a heavy particle cannon. A simple piece of field artillery designed to deal with armor or dug in enemy positions like ours. The foxholes would give us good protection from conventional blaster fire, but an E-Web could cut through a foot of soil and still rip you in two. I didn't see it, but I believed him. This was Tolan's job, to look for things like this and blow them into dust. I popped out and let off a few shots where Tolan suggested. The first bolt went by and the brief glow gave away a cluster of three figures, hunched low and struggling in the dirt. You see? Did you see? To be honest, that could have been anything, but I couldn't take the chance. I popped up again and let off a few more shots. It hit something. It spun and toppled on impact. I ducked under cover and did a quick scan. I saw a figure jump into a foxhole down the line. Our lines were being stormed. I could hear the yelling, but you don't think about what's happening there because you need to focus on what's happening here. You get it? I came up and fired again. There were two more shadows getting closer. I shot at them, hit one, grazing them more than actually hitting them. They stumbled forward into the grass. Then two more shots from beside me ripped into their torso as the guy grunted and rolled. I heard their breath leave in a stifled moan. Tolan leaned over the edge of the foxhole as the RPS-6 primed itself. Then he pulled the trigger. And I was blinded again. There was a dull thud as the rocket hit. The explosion was a lot bigger than the last. He definitely hit something. I would have to assume it was the E-Web's power generator given the blue hue of electrical discharge. Then more blaster fire came down into our foxhole. The second shadow was close. They fired three shots. One hit Tolan's RPS-6, saving his skull. The other two hit somewhere, I just couldn't see where. Didn't have time to look either. The shadow leapt into the foxhole, and they were close enough that I had a good look. It was a Twi'lek, swinging a rifle like a club. One of the biggest Twi'lek I'd ever seen. And he had sharpened teeth. Never understood that. An electric wave shot up my arm into my shoulder as their rifle landed on the back of my hand. I dropped my weapon. 
Then they aimed for my head, but I got my other arm up and my bracer took the impact. I fell back. They lowered the rifle down, aimed to fire, but Tolan, who I guess was all right, kicked him in the side of the knee. The joint cracked with a sickening sound, and I was on my back and kicked up. My heel dug into their crotch, and I drove it as hard as I could. As they toppled back, I ripped the vibro blade from its sheath on my chest. The knife pierced their throat just below the chin, and I kept going. I buried it to the hilt and then ripped it out, and the blood sprayed. The Twi'lek slumped forward with a sick gurgling sound. I grabbed my rifle and shot them in the back of the head. Two shots. Always two shots. I turned around to take a good look at Tolan and was met by a bloody grin. I saw that. (laughs) Right in the pills. He laughed, or at least tried to. He must have been in shock. I yelled, medic, at the top of my lungs and looked around, too. That's when I listened to see what was happening. Because I was actively listening for a response. I heard the chaos, the groans, the blaster fire, and the dead and dying out past our line. I heard everything but a response. I thought for sure Husto would just be there, but he wasn't. I yelled again and looked down my field of fire, priming my rifle. There weren't as many shadows out there now, but they were still coming. There was no discipline or strategy anymore. They were just attacking us. Anyone who could advance was. These were not professionals. I took a shot at someone crawling up ahead, then at someone out in the open trying to advance to more cover, then at a cluster of bushes they looked to be heading to, thinking maybe there were others already there motioning them over. Then I called out Medic again. Who's hit? Husto was yelling as he leapt into the foxhole from behind, and a spray of enemy fire followed. We were all tucked low as bits of dirt and debris sprinkled all over as he went to work. Tolan had been shot in the side. The blast had partially been absorbed by his chest plate buckling, but it had also ripped into his torso and at a glance it looked messy. He was also hit in the leg and even though it looked cleaner, it was potentially fatal. He was bleeding a lot. What's the name of your home planet, Tolan? The corporal peppered him with questions. Every time Tolan mumbled an answer, he'd ask another. I was half listening and half covering my zone. I wasn't listening to his answers, just listening to see if he was still answering. I was impressed by how genuinely concerned Husto sounded. He never seemed to give a shit about any of us before. But seeing him here, working away on someone who was on the verge of bleeding out, a complete about face. He would look up and give Tolan a smile, then rifled through his medical pack. Then he grabbed my shoulder and shouted, I gotta get back to the CP. I'm out of back to spray. On the count of three, lay down some cover. He counted me down and I set the rifle to full auto and let loose. When I came up, I saw figures getting close. There were three of them, and when they saw me come up, they spread wide and ducked. I'm pretty sure I hit at least one of them. But then I saw something drop right behind them. Something dark with a flashing light. A detonator. The corporal was running out the back of the hole when the blast went off. 
debris and shrapnel went up, I didn't duck in time and a boot smacked me in the side of the helmet. A boot with part of a leg still hanging out of it. I heard shouts from Altherium and Staven next to me. I was still laying down cover when Husto made it back. I asked what took him so long. There's more than a few of you that got tapped, Kwai, so excuse my rudeness while I try and keep people from ending up on a spreadsheet. He tore off the bandage on Tolan's side and slapped a fresh one on, wrapping it around his torso. The grenadier winced, floating around on painkillers in a dreamlike state. He wasn't awake, but he wasn't sleeping either. Husto then sprayed the wound on Tolan's leg and winched down the tourniquet strapping, elevating it by using the dead Twilik's head as support. The corporal handed me a sealed pulse needle. Then we heard another cry of medic from somewhere else down the line. Medic! We need a medic! Tolan should be fine, but if you start hearing gurgling when he breathes, stab him in the neck with this. Then call for me again. You understand? I nodded. Say you understand. I echoed, I understand, back to him. Then he made me repeat what he'd said as he glanced over the brim of the hole. There's two bandits right there beneath that ferris tree. Make sure they don't shoot me. He was right. And as soon as he scaled back up the other side of the hole, one of them was exposed as they prepared to fire. But I was ready. I had a great shot, hit them square in the chest. And that was the end. There were no advances after that and the fire became very sporadic. We could see them falling back as the sun rose, one trying to crawl along the ground and make for the marshy tree line in the distance. But with the sun behind us and the ability to recharge our clips, we were firing repeatedly, like kids at a county fair shooting range. I counted at least 30 dead out ahead of me, and some were still moving. Hold fire, 79. I catch any of you shooting enemy wounded, I'll kill you myself. We want prisoners. I hadn't seen the LT at all during the night. I later learned he was on the line directly behind me. He responded to the scream, and it was a good thing he did. The entire side was hit by infiltrators wielding vibro swords and blaster pistols. The LT saw one coming and reached the line along with Sergeants Tobla and Gentala in time to shore things up. That was meant to be a distraction while the other two sides of our triangular OP were attacked en masse. That E-Web Tolan spotted should have been a turning point in their favor. And if he hadn't seen it, there's a chance it could have been. We counted our wounded, calling it back to the CP. Orto didn't want any of us moving out of our holes unless we needed to. There was still too much fire. Sergeant Hefspar stayed low as she came down the line to check on us. She carried a sack of canteens filled with fresh water. Enough for the whole line. Deveronians are strong. How's Tolan? The corporal said he was bleeding, but stable. Any change? I told her everything was the same as before. Then Tolan let out a soft moan. She looked at him closely, thoughtfully, like she'd seen this plenty of times before. Right, well, the LT is still surveying. When he's sure we're clear, we'll call in the lardies to... The shot hit the back of her sack of canteens, spraying water everywhere. She jerked sideways with the impact, fell to the ground. I grabbed her and pulled her into my crowded foxhole. More shots. They came from far off. We heard the impact before the shot. 
She was hit right in the calf as I dragged her in. When I got her into the hole, I took a closer look at the wound. She wasn't actually shot. The projectile hit the dirt beside her leg, and the impact shockwave ripped into the side of her calf, tearing it open. The power on that weapon must have been extreme. Armor-piercing rounds, for sure. Gave the sergeant a nasty wound, but you'd never know by the way she was acting. Hefspar was barely phased. She sliced the strap off the canteen sack and tied a tourniquet around her leg, then reached into the med pack on her webbing and shot some painkillers. Did you see where the shot came from? I didn't, but a voice came in from down the line. Top of the tree line! 1030! 500 meters out! Eltherium. Like I said, guy was cool under fire. Always watching. He'd just finished speaking when the comms clicked in. Everyone, stay low. We have sniper activity south of our position. They're using a circuit model rifle. A shot rang out. I peered cautiously over the rim of my foxhole. Nothing but a few wounded raiders doing their best to crawl away. And I dropped back quickly. They're using a circuit adventure model rifle. It has the range, accuracy, and power to put a round through anyone's skull dumb enough to come out of their hole. Hold until we've ascertained their position. I knew what a circus sniper rifle could do. They were expensive, cost more than most land speeders. They could also put rounds through ship plating. Made me wonder what we were going to do. The lardies we used had no gun turrets like the type used during the Clone Wars, so it wasn't like air cavalry would sweep in and detonate that entire section of trees with turret fire. We were stuck, waiting. The LT would figure it out though, always did. I could hear fragments of conversation in the holes around me. Tolan would mumble things too. He'd open his eyes, then close them. Hefspar would put her giant meaty hands on his shoulder. You'll get through this trooper, just think of home. Then another shot would go off. There was no pattern. The sniper would shoot. That'd be followed by yells and shouts and people making sure everyone was okay. The sniper had just shot close to our hole when the booms rang out in the distance. Lardies had been called in after all. You could hear them swoop over, but I didn't see them from my position. The engines were close though. They came in right overhead, preparing to land in the middle of the OP. Then another shot came out, and one of the lardies got shaky. The one side of the closer lardy dipped low and hit the ground. Then both of them pulled up and bolted straight up. We found out that during the landing approach, the sniper had managed to hit one of the pilots. The bullet pierced the canopy, put a hole clean through and struck the pilot in the chest. Then they hit the deck as the co-pilot transferred control. The wound was severe enough that they needed to get back to Camp Vibus ASAP. The other lardy was on the horn with the LT and was aware of how many wounded we had in need of medevac, so they agreed to remain in the area for as long as it took to neutralize the sniper. They pulled up to a higher altitude to just wait it out. Sergeant Hefspar watched the two transports lift up, then reached for Tolan's RPS-6. 
She called out to the neighboring foxhole. Are you sure it's 500 meters? Eltherium responded. He wasn't sure, but the sergeant hit the comms channel. Sir, we have a line on the shooter. Permission to neutralize. Then there was a pause as she waited for a response. Permission granted, sergeant. The sergeant loaded in a rocket, programmed the launcher for a ranged explosion. At 500 meters, that thing was going to blow wide, regardless of whether it hit anything. She looked at me. You were in the scouts, weren't you, Kwai? I knew what she was thinking. She was going to hold the sniper down with the rocket launcher while I advanced to neutralize them. Staven, you're going to move separately. Stay low and keep to cover. Don't expose yourself any more than needed. Acknowledged. I turned and braced myself to go over the top. Checked my clips, readied my blaster, and pondered if there was any way to permanently remove that scout cord designation from my record. She got ready and hoisted the rocket launcher onto her shoulder. Looked over at me again. We were both eager for that sniper to let loose, just to get this over with. Her face was pale. That shot through her leg was still bleeding. Just a mess of dirt and flesh. That was it. The sergeant was up, locked in, and then... I heard the hiss of the rocket as it launched. I waited for the blast, checked my rifle one more time. Checked my rifle one more time. Set it to single shot, more accurate. Held my breath. Then... I followed. We headed in different directions. I was sprinting at a low-lying bush 20 meters away, running as fast as I could. Without my pack, I felt like a charging mud horn, going at full tilt during a rut. A shot hit the ground just ahead of me, spraying dirt. I dove and rolled a bit, scuttled my way to some ample cover. From there, I could see Staven. Shots ripped through the vegetation around her hiding spot. That sniper was still active. They must have known what we were up to. She was motioning me, but I couldn't see clearly enough to make any sense of it. Another rocket went past. F-Spar was really good with that thing. Her reload time was incredible. Much faster than manual standard for sure. I waited for the next blast and then moved. Staven broke further away and I followed a bit. I didn't want her getting too far ahead of me. The last thing I wanted was to enter that marsh alone. She pointed ahead at a crumpled tree trunk surrounded by some tall grass. I went for it. Looked like solid cover. I heard her crying out as I got close, but I gritted my teeth, thinking she'd been hit. Then I dove for cover again. We made it a lot further this time. I was a third of the way to the tree line. Soon as I got close to the tree, I heard two voices. They were coming from the other side of my cover. Great. This must have been what Staven was trying to warn me about. Then a rocket flew past. One of them stood up and yelled. Run, bubble! They must have known I was there. How could they not? They leapt over the toppled tree, and one landed on my leg and fell. I'm convinced that if I didn't have my armor on, they would have snapped my leg because their foot landed squarely on my shin. As the pain sent a shiver all the way to the back of my eyes, I shot them. Point blank, the bolt going clean through their chest. Then I took their partner down midair as they jumped over. 
They sprawled in the dirt, and I pulled the trigger again while they twitched. They were Miri Allen, the face tattoos running down to the bottoms of the cheek, blue-green complexion, small bubbles of blood coming out of their mouths. I didn't like seeing them up close like that, as people. Faceless forms in the dark were easier to kill. I looked away and reloaded my rifle, just waiting for the next window. The rocket flew overhead, and I was up and running. Didn't even wait for the explosion. I gunned it. No sniper fire either. Everything was just quiet. Just my breathing as I ran, the gear on my webbing rattling. I saw Staven 50 or so meters ahead of me, and I was relieved. I wanted her Keshian eyes when we got into that swamp. Her species have way better eyesight than humans. The rocket exploded ahead of me, but I kept running. I was cocky. I headed in Staven's direction, but again, I heard the sniper fire, so I dove and waited. Repeated this pattern three more times. I ran past the blown E-web, and it was an E-web. The bodies nearby were fertilizer now. Pieces of them scattered on the ground, festooned in strings for carrion feeders. I ran right through it. You really just upload one scene of gore after another into your head, saying you'll go through them later. If you're lucky, you never do. I caught up to Staven. She was waiting near some trees at the edge of the marshes, crouching down on one knee. She shot off a signal flare. That was so Sergeant Hefspar and the others wouldn't be shooting rockets anymore. We were on our own. She reclipped, rifle ready. I'd seen flashes of returning fire from that sniper rifle on our approach when whoever was in there was shooting back at our OP. I had a rough idea where they were, and with Staven's eyes, hopefully we'd find them before they got a clear shot at us. They're right near the tree line, up high. Spotted a few big Everwoods. We broke off and headed in opposite directions. We took our next steps, and they were surreal. There was a line of trees and vegetation that ran four or five meters deep, then a patch of nothing, just mutilated vegetation. The measured rocket blasts did exactly what they were meant to. They destroyed the interior. This was swamp. Wet ground, overgrowth, trees, you name it. But there was nothing now, just mush. Shredded plant life everywhere. Fragmented tree trunks filling shallow pools of water. And it wasn't just bits of plants. There were bodies. Parts of them, at least. Utter destruction. The smell of burnt flesh and vegetation was like nothing I'd ever experienced. It invaded your nostrils. Hit you in the back of the head. My foot sunk into the bramble of broken wet wood and leaves. It was a strange feeling. You were walking on organic rubble. It would start to give way. You'd think you were going to slip in, but then you'd stay up and keep going. Then I saw movement right before a flash. I saw something move, and I dropped. Chest to the deck. It was a weapon firing, and it was close. Grazed my tricep. Felt like a hot poker digging into my arm but they'd given themselves up. I had the line, a humanoid shape, hunched against a blown tree trunk. I pulled the trigger. Two as I fell, 
two more when I landed. Then I took a second to aim properly and fired again. That one hit. The raider spun backwards, fell over. I was trying to get up when Staven came in on them heavy. She put three more rounds into the sniper as she approached. Single shots. I was moving in when Staven was yelling. Don't reach for that weapon. Get up. Get on your fucking feet. I want you standing. I backed her up, kept a wide berth, finger on the trigger. It was a human female. She raised one hand and rolled over, then limply raised the other. The rifle beside her was a Zerka adventurer. This was her. We had them, and they were alive. Staven hadn't actually shot them. She'd shot around the sniper, putting the fear in them. Let him know that we had their life in our hands. That's usually what it took. The sniper was in visible pain. There were bloody scratches all over her face, leaves, green bits of plant matter stuck to her body, and a small piece of wood was rammed into her collarbone, and another one in her thigh. She was bleeding heavily. That was organic shrapnel. She was barely able to stay upright. I kept ahead of her as she came forward, hands up and surrender. Her footing was uneven and she stumbled, which made it hard to know whether or not each jerking motion was deserving of a few blasts through the torso. Staven grabbed the sniper's weapon, that Circa slug thrower. It was like no weapon I'd seen before. Standard look of a slug thrower, but heavily modified and scoped. That thing probably cost more than the lardy she was shooting at. I walked backwards, leading them out of the woods. She looked back at me, drained, like I was filth, like I didn't deserve to be alive. The defiance on her face showed I was the crux of villainy. You have no clue what's coming. Your kind will never hold this planet. Then she collapsed. I stood there with my rifle pointed at her as she laid face down on the ground, not knowing what to do. I figured this was a trap. Probably had a blade ready to stick into my neck. I mean, fuck them, right? They'd spent the last few hours trying to kill my entire platoon. What do we do? We let a prisoner die on our watch, LT will kill us. Then I remembered the pulse needle that Husto gave me for Tolan. I told Staven to keep her rifle poised, specifically motioning for her to come close so she could put this girl down if she got up on me. I pulled out the needle and stabbed it into the sniper's neck. Then I rushed back and picked up my rifle. What did you do? I told her I used the pulse needle and Staven groaned because now the prisoner was out for sure. Those things helped stop bleeding by slowing down your heart rate. It had put her in a shallow level of stasis. The prisoner was out, like out, would not be getting up anytime soon. I knew that would happen, but I hadn't thought of the implications. I just didn't want them to die because I was terrified of what the LT would do to us if that happened. I can't really explain it, but in moments like that, where you have a dozen orders and regulations running through your head, sometimes you just cross your wires and make a mistake. Staven and I argued about what to do. I insisted I was just trying to keep us from both getting in shit with the boss, but in the end, it was decided I would carry our prisoner back to the line. That was my punishment for saving the life of the enemy. She slung both the slug thrower and my blaster over her shoulder and followed a few paces to the rear, keeping an eye out for anything. 
We radioed back to the OP and told them we had the sniper and were coming back, mentioning how severely wounded they were and would need immediate medical aid. The walk back was slow going, especially with the bloody mess hanging over my shoulders, and there were bodies everywhere. I counted 20 on my walk back, mostly Twilix, but a few humans and Mary Allen. Common grade blaster rifles too, nothing noteworthy. Another few steps and we were 100 meters out. Altherium popped out of his foxhole and waved us in. LT had put in the call, saying things were clear for a medevac. We dropped the prisoner and she had binders on her wrists and ankles before the corporal was allowed to come over and take a quick look. She'd taken a few wounds from Hefspar's barrage. Her body was rammed through by plenty of shrapnel, but the real bleeder was that blaster bolt that ripped a good chunk off her waist. The blaster bolt I had fired, mind you. Staven was clear to tell everybody about that. I guess I canceled it out because the pulse needle I administered actually slowed the bleeding enough to keep her alive. Husto was working on her with Bacta, coating her with foam bandages. She was in for a long recovery in one of our holding cells. I sat there with the LT and Husto went over how to deal with her. Did we call in the Navy and have her taken right to the crossfire or bring her back to camp? I normally never got to see conversations like this, but Staven and I were ordered to hold tight in the CP after bringing back the prisoner. I took off my boots, found three vamp slugs leached on. I burnt him with a tobacco stick. It was interesting to see the LT having a tactical conversation. This was the process we never got to see. In the end, the LT wanted her brought back to the camp. He had a few questions he wanted answers to before command got to her. I was hoping he'd elaborate on that. Then the lardy came down. The platoon moved out of the foxholes and began arranging the wounded according to Husto's orders, making sure the severely wounded got out first. Then there was another boom in the distance. Lardies coming in out of mock, two of them. They landed, and the doors opened with backup from the 71st platoon. These guys were golden. They'd been out on patrol and hadn't even been shot at. Everyone on the camp was calling them the Princess Platoon. We hated them, but I suppose they hated us for the opposite reason. They knew that when we got back to camp, everyone would know that once again the 79th had been through the grinder. And this time, we only had two KIA. Everyone else came through. There were some bad cases. Grizzly stab wounds from that wave of infiltrators, but Husto had everyone in stable condition by the time the Lardies dropped. We loaded them up first, though, and began surveying the battlefield, gathering enemy wounded for interrogation. There were a lot of them. An entire ship was used just to transport their wounded back for questioning. The sniper, that was the big prize, though. Not just anyone walked around with a weapon like that. Hefspar called us out specifically. The LT came by to speak with Staven and I. You two did good today. I'm going to put this in writing and bring it up with the colonel myself. Put you both in for battle honors. To be honest, battle honors are kind of bullshit. They don't really mean anything because it's not the things you do that get medals. It's who sees you do them that gets you a medal. Battles are normally won by people doing things that go unseen. Thousands of lives saved by someone who'd never get noticed. 
I know that now, but I didn't at the time, because when the topic of battle honors came up, I was giddier than the first time I went to a brothel. The 71st did most of the cleanup, making their way through the remnants of the assault, dragging piles of their dead together. Their sergeant spoke with ours about what happened. Husto came by and looked at me, sprayed my arm with Bacta, wrapped a bandage around it. The LT gave Steven and I a break. Because of what we'd done while everyone else gathered bodies and cleaned up the OP, we hopped on a lardy back to Camp Vibus with some of the wounded. I didn't even mind the heat when they sealed the vents. I just wanted my bed. I was thinking about that shower I'd take and the cool air from the air conditioning in the bunkhouse. Grabbing some Gavenberry juice from the canteen on my way to the shower. All of it. I had the whole process. My walk from the pad to my bed, all of it, mapped out. I was going to stow my rifle under the bunk and clean it when I got up. Just wanted to scrub down myself and have some juice and go to sleep. The lardy came out of mock and the vents opened wide. Air rushed in and all of us let go. That sensation of ease. Most of those on board had minor wounds. They'd be in the infirmary a few days, but they'd be out soon. The real serious cases, like Tolan, had been on the first outbound lardy. When that wind came in, Staven stuttered awake. She looked at me wide-eyed before realizing we were okay. That's what we did for each other. We made sure we were all okay. Able to take that next step. Because that next step is all that matters. We soaked in the breeze and waited to land. I could taste that Gavenberry juice. Staven said she was going to shower, then hit the rack too. When she woke up, she'd give me a boot. We could detail our gear together over some sticks. The lardy came down on platform two. There were some medical staff and droids there ready for the wounded. We waited for everyone else to get off, then snagged our packs and stepped out into the heat. There was another craft over on Platform 6. Something out of the ordinary. A Theta-class shuttle with an imperial dark grey finish. A Theta-class was an older model shuttle, but they were decent size and reserved for... The kind of people who don't slink around backwater outposts like ours. Like important people in the Senate, or those rich enough to warrant imperial protection. Staven and I both looked at it, and when we turned to head to the barracks, the main landing door opened. We both stopped, just looking over, still jumpy, our kit slung on our back, mud and dirt clinging to every inch of our bodies. We looked like the dog's breakfast, staring at a ship that even the colonel would never ride in. We expected someone to walk down the ramp, something dramatic. Just the way it looked, so slick. When I signed up, this is what I signed up for. Pure imperial power. Staven was staring too, how could you not? Later found out that she was actually looking at the engines. 
apparently they had some of the highest thrust to weight ratio of almost any Imperial non-fighter craft, and it wasn't unusual to see them retrofitted into pod racers on the elite circuits. Move aside, trooper. A hand shoved me to the side. I tripped over my heel and the weight of my pack pulled me down. I fell back and to the side, landing square on my ass like an idiot. Staven burst out laughing, just this single, ha! Ha! And that's when they stopped. Two purge troopers. The kind used to hunt down rogue Jedi. Shining black armor. Pristine. Everything about them was hostile. They were already a few paces past us. The second one just turned their heads slightly to the side. Is that how you maintain discipline on the line, trooper? Staven shot to attention. No, ma'am. I didn't move. I just looked at them. The one who pushed me over pointed at me. Help him up. Staven took a few steps over and dropped her bag and helped me up. Soon as I was on my feet, he spoke again. Eyes right, troopers. Then they kept going. Unstoppable. The sun catching on their pauldrons. Eyes right means to salute. It's something usually done when on parade and passing a dignitary. We obeyed, though, even if we didn't know what for. Those guys, they were hand-picked elite commando types. They got experimented on. Augmented. More than human. The meanest of the mean. They needed to be. Hunting down Jedi? We found out what we were saluting pretty quick. It got quiet. Like a deafening quiet. Sound ceased to exist. Like when you submerge your head underwater and everything stops. That's how it felt. And it was that way with the warmth in the air, too. You just didn't feel it anymore. A figure clad in black turned the corner of the building ahead of us. Same direction the purge troopers came from. Tall, lithe, elegant. She moved like water. The world, the universe, reality faded into nothing. I was fully under the water. Those eyes that glowed in the darkness, right into me. Her eyes were the scream I'd heard earlier. This was an Inquisitor. She walked past Staven and I while we saluted, followed the purge troopers into the shuttle. Staven and I relaxed, looking at each other. A bit of wonder about what had just happened. Were we going to get in shit or something? We waited a minute, looking around, then grabbed our packs and hit the bunkhouse. Zavis Prime. The words rang in my mind, but they weren't mine. That fucking Inquisitor. I knew what they did, what they were. You remember Zavis Prime, don't you, Solomon? I got moving. I went from a stroll to a brisk walk, and it caught Staven off guard. She asked what was up, why I was moving so fast. I leaned on the whole juice thing. I just insisted I was thirsty. 
Maybe she bought it. Maybe she didn't. I don't know. I didn't care. I just needed to get away. Zavis Prime was the planet my sister had been killed over. That's where the blockade was that brought her down. That Inquisitor had been in my head. What else did they know? I had this sudden realization that maybe I was a pawn in the grand scheme of things, of how little I actually mattered when there were people who could just do stuff like whatever she had just done. Ripped my life through a sieve and extracted what they needed to take control. I'd heard about Inquisitors, the ones who were sent on the Emperor's personal bidding to ensure the Jedi never rose again to threaten the peace of the galaxy. But seeing one in person was something else. I put it out of my head, convinced myself the laughter, someone else's laughter, was just stress or exhaustion. I got my juice. I just needed it at that point to keep me grounded. The way it came out of the fountain into the cup. I must have freaked out the person next to me in the canteen line the way I was cursing the machine for taking so long. And then I put the glass back, downing it, all in one gulp. I had another. I focused on the juice and the way it bent, the swirls coming out of the fountain. I needed to avoid the voice. She saw the bulkheads give way, Solomon. She saw them buckle. Seven glasses. That's how many I went through, one after another. Then I showered. And that voice was still there the entire time. She heard the ship's hull bulge outward. The blast and struggled as she was sucked out into the void. The air leaving her lungs. I was cold, in sweltering heat. I just needed to sleep it off. I told myself that out loud. The bunkhouse was empty and I was talking to myself, convincing myself that if I shut my eyes, it would all be okay. It wasn't. But I fell asleep anyways. A Sith Inquisitor on Sestin Four? Could it be connected to the Jedi Sigil Platoon 79 found on their first patrol? And who is that sniper? That's next time on Medals and Swoop Fights. Thank you for joining me this week on Fearless Fred Presents Mud 79, a Star Wars fan fiction podcast. If you haven't already, make sure you follow the show so you'll never miss an episode. While you're there, don't forget to rate and review us. It helps grow the show and will make my contemptible harpy of a producer very happy. We're available for free at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, and wherever else you get your favorite streaming audio. You can also listen at CuriousCast.ca. Be sure to check out the show notes for more information and a full listing of Mud79's cast. If you want to reach out to me directly, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at fearless underscore Fred or email me at mud79 at curiouscast.ca. This show is hosted and written by me, Fred Kennedy, and Dila Velasquez, the Harpy, our producer. Sound design is by moi and final production is by Rob Johnson. And I'll see you next week for more Mud 79.